As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead, go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. Who is this? So who is he? That's the big question for today. I would argue that's the biggest question of your life. That is the question. If you're here today and you think, you know, I'm not really religious. I think Jesus was a great guy. I think he was a good teacher, uh, but I wouldn't say much else. First off, we want to say that we are so glad you're here. Thank you for taking the bold step of even just asking, of seeking an answer. Thank you for being here. And second, we also don't want you to be religious. So we're on the same page. We want you to know Jesus Christ. We want you to have a relationship with him. So if today, if I challenge you this morning, if that's you, just try to find your answer. If all today is, is a start for you, it's just you start to look, then I'm ecstatic. Pastor John actually spoke just two weeks ago about the pitfalls of persuasion evangelism. So I'm gonna say up front, I don't want to persuade you today. I don't want to coerce you. I don't want to convince you that Jesus is God. I don't need to win you over because I want Jesus to win you over. So even if we get to the end of today's message and you still disagree with me, maybe your answer is different than me, today we're just gonna hear what he has to say, okay? We're gonna do what Jesus asked us to do and we're just gonna follow him today, right? As if, as if there's a crowd in front of us and we're just listening in. We're just gonna hear what he has to say. We're gonna follow. Like I said, if today is just a start for you, then I'm ecstatic. And now to the Christians in the room. Can I be honest with you all for a second? Can I be transparent? Because today's sermon by far was the hardest I've ever had to prepare. That's because it's Palm Sunday, right? So not to spoil the ending, but Jesus wins. We think Jesus is God, right? We have the answer. The answer is brutally simple. Like that would have been a great sermon, right? If you just saw, who is he on the screen? I'd pop up and say, he's God. And then you guys beat the lunch rush to Cracker Barrel. I'll see you on Good Friday. We understand, like, the answer is really, really simple. He's God. But, but also we understand that, like, the answer, it's this, right? Who is God is this book. I mean, who is Christ is this book. It's the last 2,000 years of human history it's all of human history. Who is Jesus is the question. 
Colossians 1.17, he's before all things and in him all things hold together. So it all amounts to him. We're Christians because we put our faith in Christ. So the answer is simple, but the question is not. Because if Jesus is God, it changes everything. If Jesus is God, it changes everything. Palm Sunday, Jesus' procession into Jerusalem that we just read about hangs in the balance of who he claimed to be. They threw their cloaks on the ground. They cut off the palm leaves. They shouted Hosanna because of who they believed that Jesus was. Your very faith, my very faith, our faith hangs in the balance of who Jesus Christ claimed to be. If he wasn't God, then you should rightfully disregard him. Who cares what he did or said? Paul said that himself, because if he's not God, if he didn't do what only God can do, then our faith is meaningless. All of this is pointless if Jesus Christ is not God. But if Jesus is God, that warrants a response. It changes everything. So today we're gonna take all of that, we're gonna boil it down to just three simple questions. Those questions are, who could he have been? Who did he say he was? And what makes him different? Because when it comes down to it, we could tackle every facet of Jesus, right? To answer the question of who is Jesus could go a million different directions. But I think these three questions, if we can start to get an answer to those, I think we'll have a good start. So let's begin with the easiest question, who could he have been? And this one's easy because we don't actually have to look at what Jesus did. We just have to look at our options. Many of you have heard uh, this argument before. It was made famous by C.S. Lewis, though he wasn't the first to come up with it. And it's called Liar Lunatic Lord. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Liar Lunatic Lord. Yeah, so it's fairly common. But in short, it's a logical paradigm. Uh, it is three lines basically goes like, if this and this, then this. So for example, let's, let's go through one together. All puppies are dogs. That's obviously true. All dogs are animals, so all puppies are animals. So that's how it works. If this and this, then this. We'll go through another one. What if it were all puppies are dogs, all dogs are brown, all puppies are brown? Obviously that's wrong. We understand the conclusion that can't be right, so how we figure it out is we just go back where if all dogs are brown, we're like, okay, that's wrong, so then not all, uh, not all dogs can be brown, if all, uh, if all puppies are brown. So now, okay, let's go through one together. You kind of get the gist of it. We're gonna test each other, okay? You didn't realize you were gonna get a college education today. All cats are feline, right? So that's true. We understand that. All felines are terrible creatures that have no place in a human's home. And so that would mean, logically, all cats are terrible creatures that have no place in a human's home. And that would be correct, absolutely. <laughs> Praise God. Um, I also just married into a cat, so I might be in the doghouse for that one later. But it's better than the cat house. All right. <laughs> so now that we understand how the argument works, uh, Lewis's argument of liar, lunatic, Lord. Let's hear uh, the clearest example of Jesus calling himself God. That comes from John 8, 58. Jesus answered, 
I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. And this is followed by the Pharisees trying to pick up rocks and then kill Jesus. So obviously there was a reaction for a reason. If Jesus called himself God, we only have three options for who he could be. The first is, if you were paying attention, liar, liar. The first is a liar, that he just simply deceived everybody. He knew that he was not who he said he was. He knew he wasn't God. And he just went around telling people he was, he did what he did. He was just purposely deceitful. And that would make Jesus one of the worst people in human history. He would have deceived billions of people. Jesus said, I'm the only way to God. If you're not God, that's about the worst thing you could possibly say. So the second one then is lunatic. This one cuts Jesus a little bit of slack, right? It's like Jesus was wrong, but he was just crazy. Jesus actually thought he was the Messiah. He did think he was God. He did think everything he said, but he was just out of his mind. So that one, the Pharisees generally, they liked to go to Jesus is a liar. And the third, simply put, is that he was right. Jesus was actually God. So here's the, here's the logic written out. I got this paradigm from a great article from a gospel coalition, so I won't take credit for this, but if Jesus were not Lord, he would be a liar or a lunatic. So we understand that's true. Like if I got up here and started saying the things that Jesus said about himself, you'd say I'm either crazy or I'm lying. The second is Jesus was neither a liar and lunatic, and if both of those are true, then Jesus is God. So what's great about this is it kind of, it breaks it all down, and all we have to answer is that middle one. Was Jesus a liar or a lunatic? If he was, then the entirety of Christianity falls apart. But if he wasn't, then he's God. So all this means, again, if the first or two are true, then the last is not. And this is great because it gives you a choice to make. You have a say in the matter. Very logically, no tricks or persuasion. Jesus is one of these three things. He is a liar, he is a lunatic, or he is Lord. But I won't pretend that this argument is bulletproof. As many of you know, uh, if you've been in the Christian world long enough, there are a few counter arguments to this. And we're not going to shy away from those today. Because if I'm up here telling you that Jesus Christ is God, then we should ask the right questions of him. If I'm asking you to bet your life on this one man, let's put him to the test. So the first way to break loose his argument is to say that the biblical account of Jesus is not the historical account of Jesus. Some people say, sure, the biblical Jesus fits liar, lunatic, Lord. That works for him, but the real Jesus wasn't the same guy. That works because the biblical Jesus was written down by his friends what he did. But if the real Jesus didn't do all those things, if the real Jesus didn't say what they said he did, then liar, lunatic, Lord wouldn't work for him. But I'll just let C.S. Lewis, the author of Narnia, with fellowships at Oxford and Cambridge, explain it. He might be a little more qualified. Now, as a literary historian, I am perfectly convinced that whatever else the Gospels are, they are not legends. I've read a great deal of legend, and I'm quite clear that they are not the same sort of thing. They're not artistic enough to be legends. From an imaginative point of view, they are clumsy. They don't work up to things properly. Most of the life of Jesus is totally unknown to us, as is the life of anyone else who lived at that time. And no people building up a legend would allow that to be so. 
Apart from bits of the Platonic dialogues, there is no conversation that I know of in ancient literature like the fourth gospel. There's nothing, even in modern literature, until about 100 years ago when the realistic novel came into existence. In short, the gospels aren't written like stories. And if it walks, talks, and acts like a letter, then it's probably a letter. So Lewis wasn't convinced that this small group of monotheistic Jews, who more than anybody else know you should not have another God, they got in trouble for that more than a few times, he do, he's not convinced that this small group of monotheistic Jews would decide to make up a story about their best friend being God. It just doesn't work. If you want even more historical references, we won't have time to go through them today, but look into Josephus. He was a Roman and a Jewish historian, so doubly unbiased to be supporting Christ. And he said a lot about Jesus, so check him out if you want more historical reference. But the second objection to the argument is this. It's like, okay, so the biblical Jesus is the historical Jesus, but what if Jesus never called himself God in the Bible? That brings us to our second question for the day. Who did he say he was? Because built into that first line of liar, lunatic, Lord, is the understanding that Jesus said he was God. If Jesus never claimed it, then the whole thing falls apart. So obviously the easiest way for someone to push back on this is to just say, no, Jesus never even claims that. I'm sure many of you have heard that before. Jesus never directly claims in the Bible that he's God. And before I go any further, I just want to clearly say I don't mean to be harsh. Uh, I don't mean to be dismissive. But that train of thought by most of the people, not all, but most of the people making it is simply intellectually dishonest. It, it just disregards the way that Jesus worked. And, and that's a mystery that could be an entire second sermon. But Jesus loved to ask you who he was and then have you say it. Jesus, Jesus loved to say, who do you say I am? They proclaim he's God, and then he affirms that. Jesus prefers this, and, and it would be super interesting to do a study on why. But for our purposes today, Jesus very clearly thought he was God. Jesus very clearly thought he was God. John is the letter where Jesus most clearly claims to be God, and he does it more than a few times. It's hard to get much clearer than the opening. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone pretty clear. Jesus is God. But while studying for the message, I found a very well-educated historian who argued that since John was the only gospel stating this claim, since the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, don't show Jesus saying he was God, that John must have made it up. John must be an outlier, and we should throw away his, his telling of the story. The problem, simply put, is that John is not the only one saying it. The problem is that one of Jesus' favorite ways to do it, as I said, is to have you say it. He would also love to do the things that only God could do. He would heal on the Sabbath. He would forgive sins. He would raise someone from the dead. All the things that the Pharisees would then say, well, Jesus, you can't do that. Only God's allowed to do that. Well, then I imagine Jesus kind of standing back like, 
That's the whole point. They just don't get it. But if you want to hear it clearly from the eyewitnesses, I'm going to rapid fire some scripture here for a moment. It won't be up on the screen, so listen in close. John 20, 27 through 29. This is the story of doubting Thomas. So Jesus goes to the cross. He raises again three days later. He goes back to the disciples and sees them. And Thomas is like, I won't believe that Jesus is back unless I see the scars in his hand. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer, believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas explained. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. So what does Thomas believe after seeing? And, and what are we blessed to believe without seeing? That he's our Lord and our God. Matthew 2.11, when the wise men visit Jesus, they enter the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So why are the wise men worshiping a baby? I don't need to explain that one much farther, but there was probably a reason for it. And here's the clearest one from Paul. This will be on screen, Philippians 2, 6. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. To say that Paul didn't see Jesus as God? And if Paul isn't enough, Hebrews 1.8. And when he brought his supreme son into the world, God said, let all of God's angels worship him. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. God called him God. God says to him, therefore, O God, your God has anointed you. This is my point. Please do not accept the argument that Jesus didn't claim to be God. It's common. It's common to say that his disciples didn't see him as God. But they did. He did. Paul very much did. His own brother James did. I refuse to throw stones at others, but this argument is a cheap way to not answer the question. It's a good way to be able to write off Jesus entirely. You don't have to decide who he is because he never claimed that anyways. Don't fall for it. Remember John 8, 58 from earlier. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. Jesus says, you know the God at the burning bush? That I am, that's me. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that was me. He says to the Pharisees, you know, the God that you claim to worship, that is me. And then they picked up the rocks to kill him. So is he a liar or is he insane or is he right? Now let's ask the really crazy question. If he is right, what makes him different? Why should I care? Many people with many, many billions of followers have claimed to be a prophet of God or from God or have gotten wisdom from God. So why should I care 
about what Jesus has to say. As Professor James Troy from Yale puts it, Christianity is different. It makes a claim that an event happened in space and time. Jesus Christ died and then was raised from the dead. And it says if this didn't happen, you should dismiss the entire religion. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Rather than a claim that some religious figure did something at some point, somewhere, we are claiming that Jesus Christ in approximately 33 AD was crucified under Pontius Pilate and rose again three days later. There's no mysticism. That is either true or it is not. We are arguing a fact. And not only do we claim that the real, literal Jesus Christ, the physical Jesus Christ died and rose again, we also claim that not a single one of his 11 disciples recant after the fact. And, and if you've heard that before, don't brush over that. 11 of his best friends died without a single one of them at any point backing down on who Jesus was. These men had absolutely nothing to gain and everything to lose. What's even more incredible is that these men didn't even die, they didn't, they didn't die just believing that Jesus had died for their sins. They didn't just believe that Jesus rose again because they could have seen the empty tomb, right? An empty tomb doesn't tell you that Jesus is alive again. These 11 men were claiming that they had seen the risen Jesus. And that's entirely different. 11 of his closest friends, not a single one recanting that I saw Jesus alive again. Here's a fun quote for you. Chuck Colson, one of the White House staff during the Watergate scandal. He became a Christian later. Here were the 10 most powerful men in the United States with all that power and we couldn't contain a lie for two weeks. Take it from one who was involved in conspiracy, who saw the frailty of man firsthand. There's no way the 11 apostles who were with Jesus at the time of the resurrection could ever have gone around for 40 years proclaiming Jesus' resurrection unless it were true. The apostles really believed that they had seen their best friend rise from the dead. And they believed it so much that they wouldn't shut up about it. And then when the Pharisees tried to shut them up, they kept talking. And so you might be thinking, okay, well, what if the church hid the fact that some of them are canted, right? What if the early church took any evidence of these men backing down and they hid it? They burn it, get rid of the evidence. Well, to that, to that I say they didn't cover up Peter betraying Christ to a little girl. They didn't cover up Judas selling Jesus for pocket change. And lastly, as we begin to close, what about the apostle Philip right after the Last Supper? Read with me in John 14. Jesus says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. 
If you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. So why are you asking me to show you to? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me and does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Jesus looks at one of his dearest friends and says, Philip, you've been with me all this time. You've known me for so long, but you still don't know me. You've seen the Father because I am the Father. Just believe that I am God, or at least believe because of all you've seen me do. If this was about power or prestige or authority for the apostles, why wouldn't they cover this up? Why show your own miserable shortcomings? So as we close today, for the Christians in the room, here's your challenge. Take yourself back to when you first believed. For some of us, we were very young. For some of us, we were maybe older. For some of us, we were maybe much, much older. But take yourself back to that day you first believed and ask yourself, why? Why did you put your faith in Christ? Why did you believe? Why do any of us believe? Why does someone get up on this stage every single week and tell you that Jesus Christ is Lord? What merit do I have to tell you that, that you should bet not only your life, but your eternity on the identity of this one man? And I think, if you think long enough about it, you'll see even in yourself that you believed not because of what Jesus did. You believed because of who you believed him to be. Because walking on water is great. And giving a lot of people a lot of bread was really cool. And we love the way that Jesus showed compassion, the way he cared for people, the way he loved people so selflessly. But that's not why you gave him your life. That's not why you put faith in him. We could have talked about the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled today. How so much of what he did, where and when and how he was born the circumstances in which he was born, the specific bloodline that he would be a part of, were all inarguably said 700 years before it happened. You can't make that up. We could talk about the way that Jesus' philosophy has inescapably changed the way that we view humanity, love, generosity, compassion. Before Christ, the Roman Empire ruled and we were all cool with a dead guy being on the side of the road. Jesus fundamentally changed the way that we see humans as humans. I could talk about how time itself was split in two by the birth of one man. But instead, I'll say this. Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, praise God, for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. 
The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowd replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. They cheered because their prophet had arrived. They cheered, Hosanna, Lord, save us, because their savior had arrived. But with the God King right in front of them, so close that they could have reached out and touched him, they missed it. Because Jesus is not a prophet. Jesus is the bread of life, John 6. The light of the world, John 8. The gate for the sheep, John 10, 7. And the good shepherd, John 10, 11. The resurrection and the life, John 11. The way, the truth, and the life, John 14. The true vine, John 15. The lamb of God, John 1, 29. The last Adam, Romans 5. The image of the invisible God, Colossians 1, 15. Our mediator, 1 Timothy 2. He is the savior, Luke 2, 11. He is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. He is the first and the last, Alpha and Omega, Prince of Peace. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the root of David. David and the lamb who was slain. Amen. Amen. He is not a mere prophet. Church, Jesus Christ was from Nazareth, but he was not a prophet. Every other world religion has their guy that rose above and said, here's how to live a good life. Jesus doesn't just want you to live a good life. Jesus wants you to follow him. Jesus, the real, physical, historical figure, is God. So what makes him different? He's paid the price to bring us back to him. But for that, you'll have to come back next week. I hope to see you all on Good Friday. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you would love us enough to come down from your throne as a child. God, that you would love me even though I haven't always loved you, God. That you would save me even though I could never deserve it. Dear Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your church. Thank you for purposing us to tell others about it. In Jesus' holy and perfect name.